So first of all, let me tell you all congratulations. Um, you have finished another book of the Bible in your Bible study. Uh, yay! I hope you've enjoyed this journey through Galatians and that you've learned more about God, that you feel closer to our Savior, and that you can relate a little bit to Paul's passion for the true gospel. So let's pray and we'll dive into the last chapter of this book. Father, you are holy, and for that we are so grateful, and your word is holy, Lord, and your word is truth, and on that truth we stand. Paul has spent most of this book telling us to stand on the truth, Lord, and I pray as we listen to this lesson today and we learn from it that we will hear truth and only truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, before we look at chapter 6, I'd like for us to take a look back at Galatians and what we've learned to this point. You will remember that Paul is writing this letter to a church of believers in Galatia. Judaizers or false teachers have infiltrated the church, trying to convince believers that their justification is based on their adherence to Jewish law rather than on grace alone. These believers are susceptible to these Judaizers because the church is always full of recovering Pharisees. And a recovering Pharisee is a self-righteous person and a or a hypocrite. And our church is full of that. The church universal. I said last night, as kind of a nod to Jimmy, the Catholic church, which means the church universal, is full of recovering Pharisees. Um, we are susceptible to false teachers. And Paul is warning us of that throughout this entire book and reminding us that we need to receive the gospel again and again and again as if for the first time, not for our salvation, because God grants us our salvation, but we need to keep in mind the true gospel so that what we lean on is truth and not a falsehood like the law that was being presented to the Galatians. In chapter 1 of Galatians, we see Paul defending his apostleship. Paul reminds the Galatians in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, that the gospel he preaches, he received through a revelation from Jesus Christ and not from men. Um, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a direct revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel comes from Jesus, not from man. What man would add to the gospel distorts the gospel. Paul continues to defend his apostleship in chapter 2 by basically reviewing his relationships with and his acceptance by other apostles. He defends the gospel that he preaches as the one true gospel. This gospel is justification through faith alone. I'm going to say that a lot today, and Paul said it a lot in Galatians. Justification is through faith alone. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In chapter 3, Paul turns his attention to the theology of the gospel. We are all heirs according to the promise. Justification comes through faith. The law has its place. It exposes our sin but it cannot save us. Only the gift of grace through Jesus Christ can save us. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, 
Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In chapter 4, Paul explains to the Galatians how now that they are in Christ, they have moved from being slaves to the law to being sons of God, and they have received the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In those two verses, we see the Trinity. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, Last week, we looked at chapter 5. Chapter 5 is kind of divided into a couple of sections. The first 12 verses have Paul explaining quite emphatically that we have freedom from the law through Christ. Our salvation comes from Christ, not from obedience to the law. We see a turn in verse 13 where Paul begins to show the Galatians that their freedom is from condemnation, but not from the moral law. Paul attempts to show the Galatians and us what that looks like in our lives. In verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And 525 reads, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. I love doing the wrap-up lesson. I love looking back at everything that we've learned and um, after studying a whole book. And it makes me ask myself, I have all this information and I understand it all a little bit better, but what now? Now that I have this information, what now? And I kind of feel like that is what Paul is doing up to this point. He has given us in chapters 1 through 5 over and over and over again that justification is by faith alone, that we are not saved by adherence to the law. So what do we do with that information? What now? And he begins to turn in Galatians 5, explaining to them what they do now. And what does it look like to walk in the Spirit as he instructs them in chapter 5? Um, Paul is answering that question as we do finally dive into chapter 6. Remember that in the original text of this letter, it was not broken into chapters and verses. That came later and was done by translators. There's some thought by several commentators, and I agree, by two cents worth, that 526 actually fits more as the beginning of chapter 6 than as the end of chapter 5, that maybe the break would have made more sense to us after 525, before 526. Um, And that verse is, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. It's somewhat of an introductory statement for chapter 6. So I looked up the word conceit. Um, The definition from dictionary.com is having an excessively favorable opinion of one's ability. Thinking too highly of oneself leads to provocation of others who we clearly think less of, or it leads to envy because when we perceive others as having what we should have. Um, Jimmy refers to that as a glory bucket. Tim Keller refers to that as vain glory, that we, that we are either full of glory or empty of glory. And as sinners, that causes us to revoke those to anger, others to anger because we think too highly of ourselves. We think more of ourselves than we do of others. Or it provokes us to envy because we feel like we are deserving of more than we have. Um, 
Those things are born out of walking in the flesh rather than walking in the spirit. So chapter 6 actually begins and ends with the term brothers. This is the church. Believers are God's family and we are to treat each other as family. John Stott says that the first great evidence of our walking by the spirit is our practical relationships of love with other people. The first great evidence of our walking by the Spirit is our practical relationships of love with other people. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you you too be tempted. We are to restore one another from sin. Our typical response to to each other usually plays out in one of the following three ways. We ignore sin. We look the other way. We don't want to get our hands dirty. We don't want to um, cause a conflict between us and another person, especially another believer, so we ignore sin. Or we gossip. And we do that by asking for a prayer request quite innocently, I'm sure, but sharing stories with others under the guise of a prayer request, and that becomes gossip. Or we condemn. And we do that by trying to punish others by turning away from them, isolating them because they are sinners. But according to Paul, as family members, we are to restore sinners. We are to meet them head on and return them to their former position. Who's to do the restoring? Paul says those who are spiritual. These are Christians or believers who have the fruit of the Spirit as described in 5, 22 and 23. 6, 1 goes on to tell us how to handle this restoration. We are to handle it in a spirit of gentleness which is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. The Greek word for gentleness is also translated as humility. Without humility, a restoration attempt can quickly provoke a family member to a defensive, self-protective stance rather than a posture of repentance. Paul goes on in the verse to tell us to keep a watch on yourself lest you too become tempted. My mom used to use a phrase with me all the time when I would say something unkind about somebody. I know it's hard to believe. Um, but she would say, "There, but by the grace of God, there, but gra- by the grace of God, go I." And she wanted me to remember that. And I, I mean, it, it resonates with me today. It, I, that attitude fosters a sense of thanksgiving for what has been done for me because I deserve nothing, and humility that I am no better than anyone else, um, and that only because of God. Am I not in the same sin as the brother that I seek to restore? Um, Spiritual pride will lead us right into temptation. In verse 2, Paul tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens. What does a burden look like? Sorrow, worry, doubt, failure, poverty, loneliness, illness, divorce, disability, depression, We as believers need to get our hands dirty with the burdens of our our fellow believers. To bear means to carry, to hold on to. Um, A lot of times we address that by saying, I will be sure and pray for you. And praying is important and we need to pray for each other. But we also have to actively bear the burdens of each other. As a rabbit trail or an aside, um, 
If you were not at Grace Evan for church on Sunday morning, please go to the Grace Evan app and listen to Jimmy's sermon on Jeremiah 23 um, through 18. He talks about depression. Jeremiah was in a state of depression, and he talks about that. And it was very enlightening how many greats, God's heroes, went through depression. And I think it's important for us as a church and as women in particular to recognize that that is a burden that we need to help each other share. Um, Love born of the Spirit is how we keep the command from Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves. When we see someone with a heavy burden on his heart or mind, we must be ready to get alongside him and share his burden. And y'all, we must be humble enough to let others share ours. That's the design of God's. John Stott says, human friendship in which we bear one another's burdens is a part of the purpose of God for his people. In Galatians 6, 3, and 5, Paul is exhorting the Galatians to consider others more important than themselves. Verse 6, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. God set up this provision when he gave the Israelites the sacrificial system. A portion of the best of the sacrifice was reserved to feed God's appointed priest. The financial support of those who teach us the truth of the gospel is still our personal responsibility. In 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, we see, Let the elders who rule well be considered of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. We must never take for granted those who bring us the truth of the gospel. As we move on through chapter 6, Paul gets fairly emphatic about what he wants the Galatians and us to understand. In verse 7, we are told that God is not mocked. Salvation by grace alone frees us from salvation by keeping the whole law, but it does not free us to act in any way we want to in the name of that freedom. We cannot thumb our nose at God's authority and expect there to be no consequences. There are always consequences. Our present conduct determines our future condition. We have to bear the responsibility of behavior. That fact leads Paul into explaining reaping and sowing to the Galatians. We see two types of sowing in these verses. Sowing to the flesh, which sows seeds of destruction, and sowing to the spirit, which sows seeds of eternal life. We saw in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, a list of the works of the flesh. In 6, 8, Paul says the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. Sowing to the flesh is very selfish and means that the sinful nature has not yet been brought under the control of God's spirit. Galatians 5, 21 warns that those who sow to the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. On the other hand, Sowing to the Spirit means living for Christ in every area of life. It means following the Spirit's lead and obeying his instructions for holy living. Verse 8 says the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We as human beings are weak. We are tempted to throw in the towel. We are tempted to stop ministering to our family of faith. In verses 9 and 10, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season... We will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul is discouraging us from giving up. He encourages us to do good to everyone, 
especially those who are of the household of faith. What can we do when we become weary of doing good? Because I really think all scripture is profitable. That's scripture. So this scripture is in here because we do grow weary. And I know I grow weary, so I feel fairly sure that you do as well. So what can we do when we grow weary? We can get some rest. Spiritual failure is often brought on by physical fatigue. We also can stop trying to minister in our own strength and start resting in the Lord. Christ is our strength to do what he has called us to do. Because we are grateful to Christ for what he has done for us, we keep on keeping on in his strength and not our own strength. The last section of this book, Galatians 6, 11 through 18, is Paul's final warnings and his benediction to the Galatians. He is writing that in his own handwriting. That was kind of an interesting thing that was brought up this morning. Verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It's largely thought that a scribe wrote the letters from Paul. He had a thorn in his flesh and it could potentially have had something to do with his eyesight, which meant that writing was difficult for him. And when he did write, he wrote in very large letters. And so he wrote this himself in his own handwriting, the Galatians would have been gathered and this letter would have been being read to them and they would have been shown, this is Paul's writing. You recognize this is my writing. And that's because he was emphatic about it. He wanted to do something that was difficult for himself in order to give them the truth. It meant that much to him that they know the truth. His final warning, warning to the Galatians is to not be deceived by those who boast in the flesh rather than in the cross of Jesus. Everything outside of the cross means nothing. Only new life through Christ and Christ alone brings peace and mercy. Anything that we do, anything that we say, anything that we read outside of Scripture, is, it could be encouraging, it can be helpful, but we cannot boast in it because only the cross of Jesus is where we can boast. We are who we are. Because of the cross of Jesus. We are where we are because of the cross of Jesus. We have the lives that we have because of the cross of Jesus. All things are because of the cross of Jesus, and we need to remember that. So we say goodbye to the book of Galatians for now, but we leave with a greater understanding of the one true gospel, Jesus Christ. In the parting words of Paul, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, sisters. Amen.